Today on a Super Bowl Sunday edition of the Daily Gator Daily Thoughts, we're going to get into several stories. We're going to talk some firearms. Uh, we're going to talk uh, some college madness. And we're going to talk about book banning and who really are the book banners. Because the left's trying to say the right's trying to ban books now. Find a mirror and look in it, folks. Seriously. And we're going to uh, look at schools and teachers, especially the teachers union, I'm sure, not wanting to have easy access for parents for the curriculum being taught, being posted online where any parent can go observe it, read it. Why does the left not want, uh, what's that word they always use? Oh yes, transparency. And we've also got a little video that uh, I don't know whether I approve or not. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I don't know if it'll be successful as a campaign video, but it is hilarious <laughs> just to see the caricature of Nancy Pelosi uh, that this one candidate out in, uh, I believe it's Arizona, has put out there. Are you ready for crazy, crazy eye, Nancy? It is hilarious, my friends. All that today and also Super Bowl prediction, which I already predicted it. So if you happen to have gotten really drunk and forgot, I'll tell you that the Bengals are going to win again. There you go. I guess I, that was, uh, what do you call that? Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, I should have said spoiler alert first. Oh, well, the Bengals will win. Screw the Rams. All that today and more on the Daily Gator Daily Thought with me, Doug Hagan. Let's get ready to kick this pig, my friends. Away we go, my friends, and let's start with the dumbest, uh, dumbest thing I've seen out of a politician this week, and it's 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 a tight race all the time, and there's always numerous incidents and episodes where you could say that's the dumbest politician or the the dumbest political decision, but uh, in Richmond, Virginia, the mayor. Uh, <clears throat> has decided to do something he thinks is really going to have an impact on, quote, gun violence, which is basically criminal thugs out running around breaking the law, 
uh, because they don't really care about people. But Mayor LeVar Stoney of Richmond, Virginia, what does he come up with? Is it revolutionary? Is it unique? Is it something that will will really have an impact? Is it something that uh, that will make an impact, a difference? Will it get criminals off the streets? Will it do away with uh, people getting out too early? Will it really focus on hammering down with serious links of jail time for violent offenders? No, of course not. Cam Edwards writes on uh, Bearing Arms, the Richmond mayor has chosen to initiate a gun buyback program. That's the ultimate, uh, that's pretty much the bottom of the barrel of stupid gun control ideas from the cult of gun control. Here, just bring a gun, you'll get a 200 or 300, whatever amount, dollar amount they want to give, gift cards, whatever. And you take some guns you don't that don't work anymore, maybe you don't want anymore, they're useless, they're cheap, whatever. If you're a thug, you killed somebody with it, you can just turn into gun. There's no questions asked in gun buybacks. So you walk off scot-free, that gun is turned in, you've got your gift card, and you can go about your life of thuggery in hell. You've given away the murder evidence, the weapon evidence, you've given it away for free. Hell, they paid you to do it. And of course, it does nothing to stop violence. Anything of that nature doesn't do a damn bit of good anywhere, anytime. It just doesn't work. Yet the left keeps beating their head on the stupid post outside. All right? Imagine if you went out of your home or politicians that they went out of the mayor's office or the uh, uh, chambers of the city council, county commission, Congress, whatever, and they came up with an idea and basically involved walking outside and banging their head against this post that was called the, the post of idiocy. That's all the mayor of Richmond is doing here. Now, something he could have done that Virginia actually did before and had a really positive impact as far as fighting violent crime was called Project Exile. The NRA had a, had a hand in, in creating this. I believe it was back in the mid-90s, if I'm correct. I may not be. But it's a crime-fighting strategy that utilizes, according to Cam Edwards, the federal court system to prosecute, listen closely, common sense alert, to prosecute violent felons illegally possessing guns. And it's got a great track record around the country when it comes to reducing violent crime. Now look, it's crime. The left loves to call it gun violence. So here's their chance to crack down on gun violence. And they run the other way. They run the other way. In fact, the first Project Exile program took place in, what do you know, Richmond, Virginia, in the late 90s. And within a year of its implementation, homicides had declined by 40%. Pretty significant. Uh, Murders in Richmond are on the upswing, thanks Democrats, and 2021's total was the highest in more than two decades. So you have to go back to the early 2001, 2002, you have to go back more than two decades, or right at two decades, crime is up, violent crime is up. So something needs to be done, obviously. And the left always wants to focus on the guns. 
Like if someone just brings an old clunker gun that's a piece of junk, doesn't even work, and gets a $200 gift card, I don't know what they're giving away for this. So I'm just throwing out numbers here. But that's somehow supposed to make me feel safer. Really? I mean, come on, man. Uh, murders in Richmond are on the upswing, but rather than rebooting Project Exile, again, it reduced violent crime by 40%. Richmond Mayor LeVar Stoney is choosing to spend half a million dollars, 500000 for you Florida State graduates, on a gun buyback program to fight crime instead. Of course, it won't fight crime. The idea is that a violent felon, a gangbanger, a murderer, a rapist, whatever, will, a carjacker, who knows, will have a gun and go, you know, I can get a $200 gift card if I just turn this in and I'll be honest, I'll be on the state narrow and my life will be wonderful. Hell yeah. Right? They're going to make more money being little thugs, frankly, or carjackers, whatever than they're going to get from the gun buyback program. They're just going to use it, get some free cash, gift card, whatever, and keep committing violent crimes. It, you have to punish violent felons. You have to catch them and put them in prison because they're violent and they're danger to their fellow men. How hard is this? Seriously. I mean, do these people, are, are can they brush their teeth without adult supervision? Do they know you have to take the cap off the tube of Crest or Colgate or, or Aquafresh, whatever you use, and actually put it on the brush and then brush your teeth with it? Do they have to be told to spit afterwards? Seriously? Does an adult have to go to their house and, and teach them how to take the uh, top off the bottle of Scope or Listerine for mouthwash? How stupid are they? I mean, stuck on stupid, look that up in the dictionary. There should be a picture of LeVar Stoney, mayor of Richmond. And of course, he's already spent millions of dollars taking down Confederate statues. Now he's going to spend half a million more of taxpayer dollars and piss it away, basically. And violent crime will continue to go up. Uh, the mayor's office did release a statement on reviving Project Exile. This is what they said. Project Exile was a success in the 90s, so they admit it was a, a positive. But since the time cities have learned how to implement, but since that time, time uh, cities have learned how to implement other effective strategies. We believe in investing in holistic approach to caring for our community, including a gun violence protection program that provides wraparound support services free hugs and puppies everybody uh community intervention trusted messengers initiatives like our gun buyback program oh glory be uh can make a significant impact in preventing violence and making our neighborhoods safer let me respond bullshit these things don't work okay offering a thug money to get rid of evidence in the crime he committed or hell they'll go steal some gun and turn it in to get 200 bucks good good uh as edwards points out there are a number of studies showing gun buybacks reduce violent crime do you know what that number is zero they don't work they've never been shown to reduce violent crime or suicides or accidental and negligent shootings 
So I would challenge uh, Stoney's office to provide a single shred of evidence of their supportive effectiveness. I suspect the real reason that Stoney isn't interested in Project Exile is because it uses police. And they're bad, you know, prosecutors, courts, and the federal prisons to curb violent crime. That sounds like punishment. That must be racist. Can't do that. Despite Joe Biden's insistence that Democrats aren't interested in defunding the police, there are still plenty of Democrats in charge of progressive cities and blue states that aren't keen on using policing as a primary public safety strategy. Instead, as Mayor Stoney referenced, the preferred strategy is a holistic approach that uses things like violence interrupters. You want to be a violence interrupter? It's a good way to get shot, get your ass beat. But hey, go be a violence uh, interrupter and gun buyback programs to hopefully prevent crime without the cops and courts getting involved because that just makes it really icky, okay? It's very triggering and may actually increase violence or something. How stupid are these people? Seriously. Uh, but again, a clown has already wasted millions getting rid of Confederate statues. Don't you think that money could have helped the city in really good ways, Mr. Uh, Mr. Mayor? Now let's go to South Carolina, another gun control story. And there are laws now. There's one, I don't know if it's passed or just still being uh, debated in Michigan, for instance. Uh, but again, from Bearing Arms, Cam Edwards again. Thank you very much, Cam. You're a good man. South Carolina juvenile justified in shooting home intruder. Now, the question here is there are laws that would force you to lock up your gun and make it inoperable uh, and, and not accessible to anyone but you. Uh, so it would take as long as possible if you get the weapon, to, if you have to defend yourself. But anyway, that law would punish a parent if a child got a hold of the gun and did something bad with it. Now, there's that's already illegal. If you leave a gun easily accessible, to a, a, a juvenile, your own child, grandkid, whatever, and they do something bad, you could be punished for it. And if you're careless, reckless, yeah, that should be part of the deal of being a gun owner is being a responsible gun owner. Uh, but of course, the left has to do one size fits all. Let's punish the guy that may or woman that may have to defend their home, their life, and their kids' lives with a firearm. And let's make it where a kid old enough to be responsible with a gun, to know how to shoot a gun, to go to the range and train, etc., can be can use that weapon if necessary. Well, uh, as Edwards writes, one of the top priorities for the gun control lobby this year, at least at the state level, is the passage of storage mandates for gun owners. While the specifics can vary from state to state, generally these proposals look look a lot like the one proposed in Michigan that could soon get a hearing in a Republican-controlled state Senate. Gun owners will be required to keep their firearms locked up and inaccessible. And if a minor accesses the gun and uses it to harm themselves or others, the gun owner would be subject to a misdemeanor offense. Now, the question begs, what if I've got a you know, 15-year-old son or daughter and someone's trying to get in the house, we're not home, uh, they've called 911, but someone's literally kicking the door in. They're coming through a window right now. If that kid can get that gun and use it to defend themselves, why would you punish the parents? And would you? 
And would that be a DA's decision or would it be something that the law took out of the DA's hand whether to bring charges? Those are the key questions. Uh, Edwards adds, while these bills are ostensibly meant to keep guns out of the hands of violent juvenile offenders, because those gangbangers listen so well to laws, the fact remains that they also make it much more difficult and legally dangerous for juveniles to use a gun in self-defense. And while those are relatively rare occurrences, we're not just talking hypothetical situations. Uh, a recent homicide at uh, a Columbia, South Carolina apartment complex has been determined to be justified. A man tried to break into an apartment and was shot by a juvenile. The left will be shocked that the gun didn't do it itself. Guns don't shoot themselves. Okay, that just it's impossible for a gun to shoot itself, kind of like it's impossible for a member of the cult of gun control to use common sense. Uh, according to the Richland County Sheriff's Department, on Sunday the 6th of February, around 5 p.m., deputies responded to uh, Gable Hill Apartments on Ross Road after receiving reports of an unresponsive man. Upon their arrival, deputies said they found a man inside of an apartment who was had assumed room temperature, as the great Russ Limbaugh would have said. He appeared to have a gunshot wound to the upper body, and evidence of a shooting was observed in the apartment, according to investigators. During the investigations, deputies say they discovered that two juveniles, children, probably teenagers, were at home when they saw a man trying to break in. The juveniles hid. But when the man entered the apartment, he fired a weapon at them. Now, he had a gun. Notice these laws didn't stop the bad guy from having a gun. They never do. Uh, the juveniles hid. He fired at them. Deputies say one of the juveniles shot back with a, a quip, a quote from Dickens, uh, with a paperclip gun. No, with an actual firearm. And he shot back and that was in the home and struck the intruder and caused him to, well, led to his demise. According to the juveniles, the armed intruder fired at them first. And if they hadn't been able to protect themselves, the police could easily have been called out on a double murder rather than a justifiable homicide. So good result. Bad guy dead. No more crime from that scumbag. Innocent kids, very much alive. Now, this goes back to the mandatory uh, safe storage laws. Uh, in the state of Michigan, Bill sponsor, Bill sponsor Rosemary Bayer and her fellow Democratic co-sponsors have tried to get around it by including an exception to the measure's pro prohibition on allowing minors access to a firearm. And here they are. Uh, no, the fourth section of the bill does not apply under any of the following circumstances. A, the minor obtains a firearm with the permission of the minor's parent or guardian, and the minor uses or possesses a firearm during any of the following. His or her employment, uh, ranching or farming, target practice, hunting, or instruction in the safe use of a firearm. The minor obtains a firearm through the minor's unlawful entry of, a prim of any premise where the firearm has been stored or through the miner's illegal taking of the firearm from the owner's premises. Good Lord, that's B. Again, these the words to legislation is so convoluted. 
you read that, you know, what in the hell does that say? Can't you speak English? Uh, and C, the minor obtains a firearm while lawfully acting in self-defense or defense of another. So if the Michigan law were put in South Carolina, these kids would have been okay, I would assume. But again, why do we need a law that mandates how you store your firearm when there are already laws there? These laws are designed to make it harder for people to use firearms in self-defense. That's what they ultimately do. And they put greater risk on homeowners, law-abiding citizens, that they may get in trouble if some DA decides to go after them. It's not needed. You're already responsible. If you leave a gun just laying around, yeah, you can already be punished. You can already be arrested. Oh, the uh, Michigan school shooter. His parents are standing trial because they allowed him access to a firearm. So you can already be punished if your child gets a hold of your gun and does something bad with it. So again, it's a, it's a unneeded law. Uh, Edwards adds, the problem here is using a gun to protect a life may be an affirmative defense that could be used in court, but... It's going to be up to police and prosecutors and potentially a judge or jury to decide whether or not it was self-defense and not, say, exhibiting the firearm in the presence of another in a careless, reckless, or threatening manner, which would subject the parent or guardian to criminal charges. Again, it's there. The intent is clear to me. It's to erode the rights of gun owners. Okay? It's like a little... uh a little piece of the world on firearms and self-defense, and they're going to go every every route they can to make it harder for you to own guns, more risky to you to own to, uh, for you to own them, and uh, again erodes the right to self-defense in the Second Amendment. Very simple. Now let's turn to another gun issue. Uh, and a question that campus carry opponents, campus carry, if you don't know, is basically allowing a state saying you have a concealed carry permit. You've already done all that. You carry legally. If you're a college student, why would you not be able to carry on campus? Why should you have to stop your exercising your civil and human right when you step on the property of you know, state university? And again, shouldn't happen. But there's a question that the opponents of campus carry will never answer. And this bill comes from uh, the state of Arizona, which is typically very friendly to firearms and self-defense. And there's a battle brewing in the legislature over the issue of campus carry. And it's also expected to be a major topic during this year's session in the state of Oklahoma. Another gun-friendly state. Nearly a dozen states currently allow for the lawful carrying of firearms on college and university campus settings, but opponents in Arizona are still using the same tired arguments they've been trotting out for decades. <clears throat> the presence of a gun in a classroom will turn heated debates into gunfights. Drunken college kids will be shooting up the quad every weekend. Campuses are safe spaces, so why does anybody need to carry a gun, just to name a few? Students for Concealed Carries, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Students for Concealed Carries, David Burnett, has a simple question for the critics of campus carry. And this cuts to the heart of the matter. And they should have 
to answer it. If these same faculty members, staff, and students can already carry off campus and do, why shouldn't they be able to do the same on campus? Why does that right stop when you hit this property line? That now this is a property of the University of, of fill in the blank here. Now you have you can't have that gun with you. Why is that? Does it make any sense? Uh, no, because there's there's uh, again permits are only available to persons over twenty one in the state of Arizona. They include state and federal criminal background checks, mental health background checks, residency and citizenship requirements. Uh, training requirements on identification slash fingerprinting. In practice, campus carries a simple, sensible, narrowly tailored provision to comply with the existing licensing laws affecting only a small minority of campus patrons who have demonstrated clean records. These are good people. These are trustworthy people. And I don't remember the last time anybody... Has there been one with campus carry where someone just lost their you-know-what and started shooting people? I don't believe so. Again, these wild examples have left those out there. The culture of gun control those out there. They never happen. They almost never happen or never happen. And I can't think of one case of a person with a campus carry who's allowed to campus carry in a state that allows it has, has lost their mind because they got a bad grade or, or had a uh, got turned down for a date or whatever. I don't remember that happening. Maybe it has, but I don't think it has. Um, I mean, these permanent holders already carry in the rest of the whole state. And Arizona's a damn big state, including restaurants, banks, shopping malls, and movie theaters. Nothing about a college suddenly renders them these same professors, seniors, or graduate students irresponsible. It's just another hurdle they put for gun owners, because ultimately the left does not believe in anything that, that represents individualism, which is what this nation was founded upon. And there's nothing more essential to individualism, individual liberty, <clears throat> than the right to self-defense. And nothing, nothing is more valuable to that than the ability to own and carry firearms for your own personal protection. So we'll see if that question ever gets answered. Here's a spoiler alert for you. <laughs> it's not going to. The left's going to continue to turn out the same old arguments. Uh, blood in the streets, blah, 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 blah. Same old things. Uh, the left never changes, folks. Never changes. Now let's change gears a bit here. Uh, let's look at... Uh, uh, let's look at this one from the Seattle Times. In Columbus, Ohio, Republican state lawmakers across the U.S. are trying to require, this is an AP story, by the way, uh, trying to require schools to post all course materials online. So in other words, whatever your school is teaching your kid will be posted online and you can, you can create an account, I would assume, sign in, and read exactly what your kids are learning, being taught. That's empowering to parents, wouldn't you think? Transparency, the left loves that word. That's pretty transparent. But 
you're dealing with leftists here, and they don't want it. They don't want parents involved in education. During his failed bid to become the the governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, one of the emptiest suits on the on the Democratic side, and that's a damn big empty suit side. So he really sticks out. Said it. He doesn't want parents involved, basically, in the education of their kids. He wants them to shut up and take it. Basically, we'll teach your kids. You shut your mouth and stay in your lane. That's the message of the left to uh, to parents. So Republican state lawmakers across the country, they're trying to require schools to post all course materials online so the parents can review them, look at them. Part of a broader national push by the GOP for a sweeping parental rights bill ahead of the midterm congressional elections. And this is very popular. This is one of the big reasons why uh, Glenn Youngkin is the governor of Virginia and not Terry McAuliffe, old cauliflower head. That's why. We'll call him a cauliflower from now on. But Glenn Youngkin won in part because he stood up to teachers' unions and said, you know what? Parents have an essential right here in the education of their kids, and they need to be able to know what their kids are being taught. That's why I also banned with an executive order, critical race theory, and other very divisive, ugly, and basically racist things that are being taught to kids that are going to end up hurting kids because it teaches them to be either a victim or a victimizer, to feel guilty or to feel victimized, and to basically hate each other because the left thrives on division. There's at least one proposal uh, that would give parents with no expertise power over curriculum choices. How do you know the parents don't have expertise? Uh, let me see who wrote this. Julie Carr Smythe and Casey Smith. It took two liberal reporters to write this. One had to hold a construction paper. One had to hold the crayon, I guess, or something. I don't know. But again, notice the sarcasm. Notice the, the snark here. At least one proposal would give parents with no expertise power over curriculum choices. Parents could also file complaints about certain lessons and in some cases sue school districts. You mean the left is suddenly against lawsuits? After all the trial lawyers over there on the left? Really? Ambulance chasing bastards? Are you telling me now they're against lawsuits? No, only when it benefits them are they against lawsuits. Uh, teachers... Uh, that would be some teachers, I'm sure. They write this as if every teacher has been asking American, and none of them want this. Teachers say parents already have easy access to what their children learn. Then what's your problem? If you're already doing it, if, if they pass a law that says you have to do something and you're already doing it, then you've really got to do nothing, do you? You just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, they worry that the mandates would create an unnecessary burden. Oh, God, I worked so hard nine months out of the year, and now I have to put lesson plans online, too. I can't take it. Damn it. Where's my mask? An unnecessary burden, all while dragging them, to, them into a culture war. The bill insinuate here there's something there's some hiding happening said katie peters a high school teacher in toledo it makes me a little defensive 
because I'm like, no, wait a minute. We're not hiding anything. Get off my lawn. And where's your manager? The transparency is always there. And the parents who have cared to look have always had access. Again, the, if a law mandates that you set up a system where the, the parent can get access to their lesson plans, the curriculum, then you're already doing it. You don't have to do a damn thing. So why are you really upset, Katie Peters? I'm not insinuating you're a liar, but I'm insinuating that if you're already doing something that the law makes you do, what's the problem? If you're already doing it, why would you be against the law saying it needs to be done? Oh, see what happens when you think after liberal says something? And Katie Peters, I don't care if you're a little defensive. You need to teach kids truth as, as you know it. We don't need politics. We don't need sex education in school, in a health class that teaches them all the bad things that can happen. I have no problem with. I have no problem with that as long as it's age appropriate. You might not want to start that in kindergarten or first or second grade, for God's sake. But I have no problem with that. Hell, I'm a big proponent of teaching gun safety in school, teaching situational awareness in school. Again, age appropriate, things like that, and have experts decide what that is. Uh, but uh, but this idea that this is too tough for teachers or parents are going somewhere they don't belong or that it's going to be a huge burden on teachers, give me a break. If the, if the truth is that these lesson plans already there can be easily accessed, you don't really need a law except to make sure it continues to happen. And again, why do you need to change if you're already doing it? Please, someone ask. I wonder if this reporter uh, asked this question, Casey Smith or Julie Carr Smythe, who wrote this piece for uh, the Seattle Times. Uh, and I suspect they didn't because of the sarcasm and saying parents with no expertise and insinuating that all teachers are against this. Uh, the bills arose from last year's debate over the teaching of race, diversity, and sexuality. The GOP insists the changes are needed to give parents a measure of control over what their children see and hear in class. Nothing should be taught in school, public, private, you name it, that the parents can't know about. If you're sharing something with a student that the parents shouldn't know about, there's something really rotten in Denmark. Don't you think? Again, this is a law. This is this protest from the left is, is not surprising because to me, it exposes that they do have an agenda. They do have something they're hiding. You know, it was the homeschooling because of the pandemic. That's why a lot of people started learning about this stuff because they started their, their kids' homework right there, their lesson plans right there. Uh, and they're reading it going, wait a minute. this Why is my te why are my kids being separated by race? Why are my kids learning that, that America is inherently and irrevocably racist? Why, why should my kid feel guilty because they're white, like they've done something wrong by being white? Why should my child learn that because they're black, they've, they're disadvantaged and they're a victim? Why are we doing that to our kids? That's where all this comes from. Nothing should ever be taught in school that the parents cannot have easy access to. 
Okay? They're the parents. You're the schools. They're the boss in what happens to their children. It's called human rights, and it's a very important one. Uh, a Republican said, I don't think anybody disagrees that more information is better for parents. Oh, the left does. They don't want that information. And you're naive if you truly mean that. Uh, Brett Hillier, who's a state representative in Ohio and is co-sponsoring such a bill. He said the proposal could quell disagreements between parents, teachers, and school boards before they go too far. All you got to do, if it's there and it can be accessed easily and the parents can have access to it, there's no way to hide anything. Oh, maybe that's the problem. Maybe we've got some teachers that want to hide some things. I'm not accusing all teachers or most. But I'm saying it, the reaction is such a grotesque thing to this that it makes me wonder. You, you're basically looking at parents saying, you know, it, it's like this. Well, my niece took horseback riding lessons I was paying for back in Texas. We went and we watched. Okay, we kind of stayed out of it. Uh, my sister, when she was still alive, and myself, and <clears throat> uh, her grandparents would go at times too, and we'd just watch and see how she did. We let the, the instructor instruct. But there was never anything where, you know, they, they, they she was always somewhere she could be seen, right? So there wasn't a case of, of them teaching her something and refusing to tell us what they were teaching her. That's too far. Uh, an instructor saying, look, let me, this is what I do. Let me do it. And any questions, qu problems we can discuss. Uh, you're the parent. You're the ones in charge. But I teach this way. And if, if you want to continue, let's do it. Uh, but again, you're informing parents or guardians or whoever is in charge of that child. And that's extremely important. To me, this sounds like a lot of teachers, maybe it's teachers unions, who don't want to be, don't want to have to answer to parents. Maybe they're they're too smart for parents. Parents are the dummies. You know, just stay out of the way, dummy, and let me indoctrinate your child, okay? Uh, that's... Uh, that's that's what this is aimed at preventing. And it's a good bill. Transparency is good. We need far more of it in our government. And this is part of that. Uh, educators claim they do not take issue with keeping parents informed, but they see a risk. The so-called curriculum transparency requirements will invite censorship. Uh, professional burnout and resignations. Well, why would that burn you out? If you're teaching just what you should be, then 99% of parents aren't going to have a problem with you at all. Vast majority aren't going to have a problem. You're not going to have to deal with angry parents because you're doing it the right way. Now, if you're, if you're teaching children critical race theory, and that kind of garbage indoctrination. If you're teaching them things uh, in the in the sexual realm when they're in kindergarten or first, second, third grade, when they're just too damn young to be learning stuff like that, when you're starting to get into uh, uh, things like identities and how do, what gender do you prefer and things like that, then yeah, parents have a right to say no, 
and that doesn't belong. So if you're afraid of parents interfering, you're probably doing something wrong. And I'm a big fan of teachers. This is not to bash teachers, but it is to bash leftism. And education is one of the key areas that leftism has used to advance in this nation. Uh, other states considering some version of the idea include Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, North Carolina, and West Virginia. The Ohio bill would affect public, private, and charter school, as well as colleges and universities that participate in the state's dual enrollment program for 7th through 12th graders. I thought accountability and transparency were good. Sounds like these bills are aimed at accountability and transparency. And I, it used to be the thing you always heard. Oh, these parents, they don't get involved. Well, they're getting involved, and now you're bitching? Interesting. A panel of three Ohio teachers recently sat down with the Associated Press to discuss the proposal. They said they already post syllabuses, textbook information, course materials, and sometimes notes for parents and students, at least at the middle to high uh, and high school levels. None of them could recall ever denying a parent's request for additional information. Okay, great. There's not a problem then. This bill is not aimed at you if you're doing that. This bill is to, is, is to make sure everyone does that. Again, if you're already doing it, why do you complain? I remember as a kid, I had certain things I needed to do, cleaning around the house and things like that. What I, I really loved was the cat litter box. Anyone tells you dogs are cleaner than cats? No, you're wrong. But anyway, if my mom or dad would ask me had already done it, uh, or, you know, you have to clean the cat box, you know, on every certain day. And I see yeah, I already did it. I didn't raise hell and go, why are you pushing me? What, what are you doing? No, I didn't take offense. I said, well, yeah, I know I've already done that for the day. Simple. So why the pushback here? Uh, none of them could recall ever denying a parent's request for additional information. Then there's not a problem, is there? Very simple. Uh, Julie Tussaud, a mother of two from Cincinnati, uh, the suburb of Madeira, uh, said elementary classrooms are a different story. The nonprofit worker and volunteer said schools stopped sending home textbooks years ago and often failed to provide curriculum details when asked. That's the, the key to this legislation. That's the target of this legislation. Lazy-ass schools who won't engage with parents and do their damn job. That leaves parents groping for information with helping, when helping kids with homework. I know my niece has, has been here and asked me questions, particularly about the war between the states period, because I've studied that so extensively. And she would ask me a question, I'd know the answer, but I wasn't sure what she was being taught in school. Uh, so I, I could say easily, here's the answer, but she might get it wrong or get in trouble or something. Who knows if she answered it that way, because maybe the textbook was teaching something different. But if I could have accessed, if I was her father and would, could access and say, okay, what's your textbook say? Okay, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that's the right answer. Again, they should be teaching correct things anyway. 
but there's an issue that could come up where you need access to be able to go and see exactly what a textbook says. And again, any school, any teacher that, that doesn't want that, there's a problem there, I guarantee you. Uh, children are with their parents a lot more than they're with their teachers, and it's bad that parents don't know what's going on, and they don't anymore, she said. I'm surprised this didn't happen sooner, but it seems like it's finally coming to a head. Well, it is because parents started getting a look at what kids are being taught because of the homeschooling, the, uh, uh, the virtual learning online, whatever they want to call it. So again, consider that. You can read the whole piece at seattletimes.com in their nation slash world area of their uh, lovely online paper there. And thank you for not putting a paywall up, Seattle Times. I, I, I hate that. It's like every newspaper now has a paywall. Uh, earn your money somewhere else. Charge a little more for advertising. I don't know, but it, it kind of... I mean, as little as you pay for a newspaper to be delivered. I remember when we did that when I was a kid, I always loved reading the paper. And to me, I don't, I don't mind paying, but I think paper, I think at a certain point people are going, people like myself, I mean, I read so many stories. So how many things am I supposed to pay 25 or 50 cents a month for? Ultimately, you know, that, that starts to add up. I think they'd be smarter to do something different. But anyway, that's completely unrelated to anything of any real importance at this moment. And just a quick note from Daniel Greenfield, who is a national treasure, my friends. Uh, DanielGreenfield.org. Uh, he has an important piece that kind of bands and uh, bands, excuse me, ties into this nicely because the title of his piece is The Only Ones Banning Books Are Critical Race Theorists. Remember, that that's their straw man now. That's their panic button dish. Oh, my God, you want to ban books? You want to ban books? You're ban book banning book banners? No, no, we need freedom. They're the ones banning stuff. Uh, this is from February the 5th. After spending the last few years banning Dr. Seuss and literally burning copies of Harry Potter novels and bonfires, and denouncing classic children's literature like Little House on a Prairie and Mary Poppins is racist. Mary Poppins is racist too? Damn. Leftists are now accusing conservatives of banning books, your book banners. Book banning, banning book burners. Uh, when a Minnesota school district removed the adventures of Huckleberry Finn and To Kill a Mockingbird, <sighs> why would you remove those, honestly? Good Lord, people. Uh, from its curriculum, because it made students uncomfortable. i tell you who it really made uncomfortable. Probably some whiny left-wing nutcase teacher that probably doesn't need to be anywhere near a child uh, because they teach them propaganda and see racism everywhere because they have issues. Uh, when they remove those from its curriculum because it made students uncomfortable, the NAACP... When are they going to sue themselves, by the way? When, when's the NAACP going to boycott itself? Why do I ask this? Because you know what the NAACP stands for, right? National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Go around, get a, a, gig, a gig anywhere, and refer to black people as colored, colored folk. See how long your job lasts. 
Yet the NAACP does it. Hell, it's in their name. So when are they going to boycott themselves? That'd be an interesting protest to watch. Uh, they have been trying to ban Huck Finn, of course, the Tom Tom Sawyer Huck Finn, uh, because there was a word used that word that starts with in. Oh my God, I'm so triggered. The fact is, if the word is so bad, then saying the N word is just as bad because they know what word you're referring to. So let's ban the letter N, maybe. I don't know. And we're banning everything else. But they've been trying to ban uh, Huck since at least the 50s. Uh, So did the media, which celebrated the effort to remove racist language that triggered students of color from the classroom. They didn't know they were triggered until some some washed-up has-been teacher who should never be anywhere near children uh, or sharp objects probably uh, made them understand why they had to be offended. You know why I'm crying, children? Because you have to read Duck Finn and that damn Samuel Clemens guy, Tom Sawyer, and Kill a Mockingbird. You're all victims. The United States sucks. People like that should not be around children. The removal of Mark Twain's authentically, listen, if you read Mark Twain's books, Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn, uh, authentically anti-racist masterpiece. This was not a book that was pro-racist. It was anti-racism. That's why the left hates it. That's how nutty they've gone. That's how far around the bend these people are. Uh, The removal of Mark Twain's authentically anti-racist masterpiece was carried out by, quote, anti-racists in school districts from Burbank, California to Lawrence, Kansas. In 2016, a Virginia school district, now at the center of media fear-mongering about book bans after parents succeeded in reclaiming schools from CRT bosses, banned both books because of all the racial slurs Now, the censors want to reclaim the mantle of free speech. Well, they're the ones that are trying to destroy it, but they want to use it when it's convenient to them. Leftism, it doesn't make any sense, except the leftists, who are batshit crazy. The media, which describes the school districts of uh, removing or replacing books on reading lists when leftists were doing it, now calls the removal of books, whether they're racist critical race theory text, or or Moss as bans. It's language. Uh, Much like erstwhile liberals went from celebrating Jefferson and Lincoln to toppling their statues, their educational counterparts, who had once vocally championed Huck and Mockingbird, shouted down any effort to keep them out of the classroom. Now, just as vocally, want them out and replaced with the deranged, hateful ravings of uh, Ibram X. Kendai and Nehi C. Coates. And Coates is a uh, especially egregiously loathsome human being. Remember, he said of the 911 first responders, he didn't identify them as human, basically. That's not the exact quote, but he didn't see them as, as human beings. I mean, really. How is he not getting punched in the mouth for that yet? Probably because he always says it where no one can get to him. Uh, what a loathsome human being he is. Uh, and by the way, if if you uh, if you hear this egregious lie that a lot of people have 
spouted about Robert E. Lee being a, a especially brutal slave master, being almost a sadist to his slaves uh, that he inherited from his, his uh, father-in-law and freed them, by the way. I've studied Lee in this war, the war between the states, for going on 50 years, 47 to be exact. And I've never come across anything about Lee that hinted, even hinted at anything like those accusations. It was Mr. Coates who put that out there. Now, other people probably did too, but that's the only source I ever heard accuse Lee of that. The man is a loathsome liar, a race baiter. He makes, he's got a talent for making film and putting it together to engage people, but his message is horrific. Uh, just like Ibram X. Kendai is. And I wrote a piece about Mr. Kendai, by the way, at the Daily Gator. And I used his real name. And basically, he's a race pimp, like Coates is. And they're banking. Uh, Coates, uh, not uh, Kendai, rather, is making like two grand an hour to spew his critical race theory bullshit and racial grievance mongering bullshit on college campuses. The man's banking from making people feel like they're victims. Amazing. You should go read that piece at the Daily Gator. And I'll link to the other McCain who also writes about it. Excellent piece there as well. Yet, instead of being honest about that, back to Greenfield now, or anything else, they duck into a phone booth, doff their censor togs, and dress up as free speech crusaders, and then rush back and throw off their free speech tights to go back to burning books. It's convenience. Leftism is an ideology of convenience. Whatever's convenient to say or do at the time, they do. And they'll turn around and do the opposite tomorrow if it benefits them, or they think so anyway. Even by the standards of a movement that is so pathologically Orwellian that it describes protest against vaccine mandates as authoritarian, uh, this is a bit much, but the only books they believe should be in school are those whose politics they like at any given moment before deciding that they hate speech, uh, that they're hate speech and purging them. Removing books from a school curriculum isn't a ban. If it is, then lefties have been banning books forever. It's not just Huck Finn. There's hardly a classic, a single classic book that hasn't been denounced for thought crimes. Wind of the Willows? Racist! Narnia, Islamophobic. The Lord of the Rings, also racist. Any book written by a white man, systemically racist. Recently, a university added a trigger warning to 1984 by George Orwell. The worst offenders are the proponents of critical race theory, now suddenly crying about censorship. When they've been urging schools, publishers, and readers to stop buying, publishing, and displaying books by white men in the name of racial and gender equity. Please go read all of this, my friends. Greenfield is, I've called him a national treasure, and he is absolutely one of the most, uh, most powerful writers out there in standing against leftism. He's a guy who gets it. He gets it. And God bless him. And uh, again, go read danielgreenfield.org. He doesn't do a piece maybe every day. They're usually lengthy. Reserve a few minutes to take some time to read them and digest them, but they're great, great stuff. Uh, thank you, Mr. Greenfield, 
for being a man of wisdom and honesty and uh, so needed in this country right now. Now, let's little go to campus reform and let's uh, uh, let's look at some words. The word perfectionism, uh, having a quote, sense of urgency. These are now examples of white supremacy, academics are arguing. A recent virtual event at Washington University outlined whether professionalism is a racist construct. What uh, now, uh, professionalism, whatever you do for a living, if there's a field that you work in, there's kind of a standard that's been set for how you should do it. And if professionalism is, is just a racist construct, then it's bad. So basically, they would advise workers to be unprofessional and companies to run themselves unprofessionally. If that's not the dumbest damn thing you've ever heard in your life, I don't know what is. Uh, Peter Cordy wrote this. The Brown School at Washington, Univer Washington University in St. Louis hosted an event that made headlines before it even began. It, it was called, Is Professionalism a Racist Construct? In the event, the presenters characterized various qualities of workplace environments, such as perfectionism, a sense of urgency, defensiveness, worship of the written word, and quantity over quality as characteristics of white supremacy culture. Uh, well, perfectionism, perfectionism can only be bad if you obsess over it. If you make it, in other words, nothing will ever be good enough. But you, but you cannot be perfect. But if you strive for perfect, you'll get better and better and you'll have a high quality. That's the idea of that. Sense of urgency, folks, go anywhere and you'll find the employees and you know what sense of urgency is because they'll just do their jobs. A lot of others, eh, I don't know, I never heard of that. Uh, uh, again, unbelievable. There was a, a company, uh, I'm not going to name, but they specialize in electronics. And I was looking for a certain battery for a certain brand of computer, certain brand and model of computer laptop. And when I gave them the model number, the manufacturer, the model number, I've never heard of that one. I don't think we have those. You could you check? Uh, hold, please. I mean, seriously, that's not professional. That's not the way to do your job. It's called being a lazy ass. But uh, defensiveness, I don't know where that comes in, really. Uh, worship of the written word, I'm not sure what they mean by that. Uh, I don't worship the written word. Well, the Bible I do, but um, I'm not sure what they mean. And again, quantity over quality, that's not about professionalism. How you teach people. When I train people how to be a bartender, I always taught them quality first. Do it right first. You will get faster. You will get more proficient. You'll be able to turn out drinks much quicker. Again, that's just, just time and trial and, and using the same, same skills. You'll get the high and eye coordination. You'll, you know, pretty soon you'll be reaching for bottles. Just, you know where they are by instinct. You know that 
okay, here, you order this rum and coke, okay, I know if I reach my left hand right here, there's the bottle of rum I need. Very simple. Quality comes first, do it right, and then over time you will get faster and faster and faster and faster. Eventually, you will be as fast as me, as I was before I, I left the field, retired. But that that muscle memory stays with you as well. So getting it right and getting faster and faster, that comes with time. That's, uh, that's not something that professionalism teaches to me is quantity over quality. If they do, they're not concerned with quantity and they're not doing a good job. Uh, as characteristics of white supremacy culture, one presenter, assistant dean for field education, Jewel Stafford, connected these alleged characteristics of white supremacy culture to the idea that even though we're working really hard, there's a narrative that we're not enough, that somehow who we are, what we do, is just not enough. Uh, well, if you're really working hard, then you have a boss that sucks, or you work for a company that sucks, maybe. But to tie any of that to white supremacy is idiocy. The idea that doing things right correctly is white supremacy is complete and utter, uh, well, fertilizer. Let's just put it that way, folks. It's fertilizer. And I got one more story to wrap it up on a note of maybe have a little fun and frivolity with something. Maybe I can even offend some people. Of course, I've never offended anyone. I would never do that. It's sensitivity I got to be, right? Uh, but let's get to uh, let's get to Valentine's Day, shall we? From Campus Reform, let's get to Valentine's Day. And uh, apparently, colleges think Valentine's Day is all about kinky sex. So here we go, my friends, from Campus Reform. Valentine's Day is used to push kinks and polyamore on America's college campuses. Universities around the country are celebrating Valentine's Day with sexually explicit events and giveaways. Uh, Peter Cordy again wrote this piece. He writes as Valentine's Day approaches, schools across the country are observing the holiday with sex toy giveaways. I went back three times when I was in college for that particular day. Uh, condom art and sexually explicit educational events. Campus Reform took a look at how a number of different universities are celebrating Valentine's Day or Sex Week. See, to me, Valentine's Day, and yes, I'm very sarcastic, my humor is. And yes, I'm going to be very sarcastic. So a lot of things I say, don't take them seriously, okay? Don't be the church leader who gets offended. Don't do that. Understand my sarcastic humor. I'm not apologizing because I don't believe in apologizing unless you sincerely mean it. And me trying to be entertaining and funny in a sarcastic way, uh, I don't consider that something that it sh should offend you if it it's not intended that way. It's tended to be entertaining. Uh, and it's my personality coming out. And I say a lot of things that aren't, aren't serious, you understand? Some people today, you have to really be, I learned this as a bartender, you have to say things to people sometimes, and you have to, every once in a while, you come up that takes you seriously. You know, I mean, someone may come in three or four times, they see you, and 
they always come on a Tuesday, and then one Tuesday comes, and you had a doctor's appointment, you weren't there. Oh, man, I missed you last week. I thought maybe you got another job or something. I say, no, I have to report to prison every once in a while. And they, what, really? What'd you do? No, it's a joke. So understand my sarcasm, my friends. Princeton University, let's start there, those kinky bastards at Princeton. Uh, they just act stuck up and snobbish and pretend they don't know what uh, safe words are. At Princeton University, students will celebrate National Condom Day. Yes, uh, wonderful National Condom Day. Good Lord. Come to Burger King this week. It's National Condom Day. We're celebrating all week. Get two Whoppers for $5 and a free pack of condoms. Serious, National Condom Day. Is there a national day for everything now? I, good Lord, I, it's every day's national this day. National Margarita Day. National Pizza Day. Because Americans really need to be reminded that margaritas and pizza they might not taste that great together, but separately, they're great. Uh, so students at Princeton will celebrate National Condom Day with, get get this, here we go. The left's always got to go to the batshit crazy end of the pool, my friends, with a condom sculpture, sculpture contest. <laughs> God. Uh, yes, we're going to teach uh, sculpture today, kids, uh, and uh, we're going to all do condoms. It's National Condom Day, and you will be graded on appearance. The, the event that they do the condom sculpture contest, sculpture contest, is an event called Latex Exhibition. Get it? Latex Exhibition. Those two got together and Latex exhibition is the magic that came out of that coupling. Speaking of Valentine's Day and sex, at this February 14th event, students will form small groups and compete to create something beautiful and educational out of expired condoms. Good God. You didn't even know, did you? Did you even know that condoms have expiration dates? I know that most guys don't. Maybe y'all didn't have to throw yours down that far. I don't know. Okay, bad joke. I apologize. Um, but what would be something beautiful and educational out of expired condoms? Oh, my God. Joey made a goose. Oh, my God. I love it. That goose is like, it gives me an erection. That's how good it is. Uh, <laughs> good God. At college campuses are teaching this idiocy. University Health Services will provide the condoms in increments of 50. The event will also feature judging and prizes. Oh, good Lord. Uh, what about Wentworth Institute of Technology? You think at Wentworth Institute of Technology... They really wouldn't have time to worry about condoms. They'd be teaching kids technology. Uh, Wentworth Institute of, again, technology, hosted an event titled, I Love Female Orgasms. Uh, a program put on by the Sex Discussed Here organization across the country. 
So there's an organization going around the country. The name of the group, the organization is Sex Discussed Here. Okay. And they have an event entitled, I Love Female Orgasm. Uh, a university email explained that admission was open to... <laughs> Good. I'm sorry. I got to laugh. A university email explained that admission was open to orgasm aficionados and beginners of all genders that wanted to learn about everything from multiple orgasms to that mysterious G-spot. Again, this is what they're teaching in college. At the Institute of Technology. At least call it something that ties into technology. Yeah, the technology, the orgasm, maybe. Or, you know, or will, I don't know. Will vibrators want, will vibrators ever replace men? Who knows? I mean, you know, we have robots now that do all kind of crazy stuff. God knows what they may be doing soon. They probably already are in Japan. Uh, whether you want to learn how to have your first orgasm, how to have better ones, or how to help your partner, uh, through presenters cover it with all lots, uh, it all with lots of humor, plenty of honesty, and an underlying message of sexual health and women's empowerment. The program at Wentworth discussed faking orgasms, uh, and navigating the female anatomy, tips for achieving sexual pleasure, whether with a partner or solo foreplay, BDSM, I think that's for uh, bondage, domination, and sadomasochism. Uh, can do without sadomasochism. Uh, sex shouldn't hurt. Uh, and kinks, sex toys, and pornography. And a free oil lube with a coupon they hold, uh, they uh, give out as well, I think. Nothing like an old Lou BDS and M and uh, pornography all together. That's right. You come on down now. Dale's porn and Lou. We got it all for you. We'll lube you. We'll porn you up and send you on your way and give you a coupon for the pizza joint right down the road. Remember, all you can eat $5 Fridays. Uh, the University of Arkansas, the Razorbox, the Hogs, spelled H. A-W-G-S, hogs. Okay, if you're not a Southerner, you wouldn't understand. By the way, greatest greatest college uh, bowl game ever played. University of Georgia, the dogs, faced the University of Arkansas, the hogs, and they played in, a, in the Polanner Weed Eater Bowl. That was the ultimate clash back in the days of all the goofy bowl games which are still around and still goofy, but the hogs and the dogs, y'all come watch them in the pole and or weed eater bowl. Yeah. Uh, the University of Arkansas hosted an event called Let's Talk About Sex. And it was advertised as an open conversation about sex and pleasure. At the event, students learn to engage in sexual fantasies. You have to go to college to engage in sexual fantasies? You have a brain. People you date have brains. People you sleep with have brains. And you need someone else to remind you that you can actually have fantasies. 
Like people don't have fantasies without college. Give me a break. Uh, and the do's and don'ts of both participating in and expressing various kinks. Uh, the school gave out condoms, sex toys, Adam and Eve coupons, as well as an interactive book, uh, booklet at the events. Interactive booklets now. Mm. Uh, but again, I, I <laughs> you know, I think I had a pretty normal sex life. Not as often as I'd like, but that's beside the point. I mean, a guy, you certain age as a boy, you start to look at girls differently. And the idea that dating and you try different things and you may get kinky or whatever, that's just kind of natural process that people go through, isn't it? Basically. I mean, I'm not talking about really weird stuff. Okay, I'm not talking about... Uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, sadomasochism, you know, and uh, things like that. We actually get or get actual canings and some weird stuff. You got marks on your body that ain't kinky, that's sick. Okay, calm down, freaks. But uh, why is this in college? I don't get it. You're college kids, you don't think college girls and guys are doing this stuff anyway. Like, these are the experts. We like infinite sex, okay? Yeah, that was us. No, you didn't. You're just making money off people, convincing them you have some expertise that they probably already have. Ohio State University, the Buckeyes. Ohio State University has an entire sex week. That will include an event called Valentine's for Abortion Providers because nothing's more romantic and Sexually exciting than dismembering an innocent human being and killing a human being. That's sick. I'm sorry. That is, that's where leftism takes a turn and goes straight to whatever's under the gutter, whatever's under the sewer. That's where that is. Uh, during which students have a chance to thank abortion providers in Ohio and Texas for the valuable work they do for reproductive rights. I don't think I need to add any commentary, do I? That's, again, that's demented. The school has also set those an exhibition fair where students will taste test lube, uh, learn about trans-affirming sex toys, uh, no thank you, and participate in a workshop about the fun side of sex. Isn't sex supposed to be fun? I mean, here's the, the, the procreation, perpetuation of the species thing, obviously. But if you're not having fun when you have sex, you're doing it wrong. You're supposed to enjoy things like uh, fantasies and things like that. Like getting a little weird sometimes. Okay, maybe you make that extra big bowl of jello or banana pudding and go at it. Hey, as long as you clean up the mess, you're cool. Uh, let, what else will they have against the trans affirming sex toys? Again, no, thank you. The fun side of sex <coughs> that will include topics such as dominant submissions, uh, bondage, sadism, uh, masochism, fetish, and more. 
again, you get too much into the masochism stuff. That's some sick shit goes on. Excuse the French. I mean, this isn't about, you know, you and your girlfriend tying each other up and having fun. Normal people do that kind of thing. But but uh, you get into whipping each other, like leaving marks and stuff, or forcing somebody to wear a mask around. Or, it's sick. Crazy. Call taking it too far. Dial it down a notch. Uh, other events slated for OSU Sex Week include, include Treat Yourself Masturbation and Self-Exploration. Uh, yeah, because that's something you have to point out people can do. No one ever does those things, all right? Uh, let's talk about drag, baby. Nah, no thanks. Uh, Great Minds Kink Alive. Really? Yeah. Cheesy. And trivia, are you a sex expert? Uh, no, I'm not. No one is, I don't think. The school's Valentine for Abortion Providers event will be the only sex week event held twice. It's so sinful, they named it twice. Uh, once on February 16th and again on February the 18th. How about Hood College? We don't talk about Hood College enough. It's Sex Week runs from February 7th to February 11th, featuring a number of sex-positive and inclusive events. Inclusive sex events, that'd be an orgy, right? I don't know. Students at, at the Frederick Maryland College participated in events such as a sex-themed trivia night, condom bingo, cookies and condoms, and HIV testing, and the BSU Black Love event. An event uh, titled There is Power in Your Pleasure had students learn the keys to actually having your desires fulfilled including building self-pleasure practice that lays the foundation for what you want from a partner. Uh, then there's Tulane University, the Green Wave. Uh, their sex week includes a number of events and giveaways where participants will receive sex toys and condoms according to the school's website. Oh, joy. Students are invited to a genital diversity gallery. Ah, uh, no thank you. That presents the vast spectrum of genitalia, assigned male, assigned female, intersex, trans, and with voluntary or forced surgeries. Did they say voluntary or forced surgeries? As in someone made you get a surgery to that part of your body? See, this is where you delve from sex and kinky to absolutely twisted, maniacal, unhealthy, what the hell is wrong with you people? Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, these are designed to destigmatize genitals. Who the hell stigmatizes them? Everyone has them. Again, I, I don't know how you would stigmatize your, you know, uh, and celebrate the diversity of bodies that exist. An event titled Reimagining Intimacy at the Intersections of Race, Disability, Gender, and Sexuality. Let's have race in everything. Let's make sex racial now. Then we can make sex racist. Again, the left 
destroys everything it touches, even sex, even something as joyful and great as sex. Because they've got to put disability in there and race and gender and it's sex, okay? What Don't hurt anybody. Keep it to yourself. There is such a thing as discretion and privacy. Like not everybody wants to know of some of the things you do, okay? Uh, the school. Uh, this will facilitate the discussion of intimacy across experiences and identities, especially across disability, queerness, and race. The school's Queer Student Alliance, that's the QSA, will also host a discussion addressing po uh, polyamory, I think is how you describe it, and ethical non-monogamy. So in other words, having multiple partners in an ethical fashion. I suppose that's what that means. Other events titles include The Wheel of Fornification, Peaches and Cream, Yoga for Sex, Sex After Dark, and the Sex Ed Quickie. The uh, schedule concludes with an event called TU After Dark Game Night Sexy Bingo, which the description reads, This is not your grandparents' bingo. God, I hope not. And again, campus reform has all this stuff. Uh, you know, I've never understood being really public with your sex life. I say some, some things in jest here on this show, but again, that's for entertainment, make it, maybe make you laugh. Uh, but it's Valentine's Day is more to me about romance and someone you're, you're really, you're really excited. Maybe you're falling in love with them. Maybe you've already fallen in love with them and not about what kind of boots they like to wear when they walk on you. And <laughs> I mean, really, come on, man. Uh, what people do in the privacy of their own homes is, is, is on them. I don't want the laws there. I don't want legislation there. Unless someone's having something done against their will or they're actually being hurt. Uh, but uh, it, it's almost as if the left loves to throw it in your face, right? I mean, you know, it's no one else's business. And usually people don't want to hear about it. They, they just don't. They just don't. The left will never learn that lesson, my friends. I went really long today. I apologize, but I couldn't shut the hell up. Uh, probably because my voice feels good and things like that. But anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you for your patience. God bless America. If you're left, you cannot possibly ever be right. And go Gators. Three golden rules of life. I am done. I will talk to you as far as I know tomorrow. I certainly have plans to enjoy the Super Bowl. The Bengals will win. Because I hate the Rams. And there you go. Let's go Joe Burrow. It's 1-1 for the SEC, baby. In fact, you have two SEC quarterbacks. Matthew Stafford. Always liked him as a bulldog. Uh, my Gators whooped him a few times pretty good. But I've always liked him. I always thought he got a bad deal. Because he got uh, drafted by the Lions. And that is the dumbest organization in sports to me. They cannot win because they suck. Their ownership has sucked for a long time. It still sucks. And he got out of there. He went to L.A. So I wouldn't mind seeing him win. But two SEC quarterbacks, 
Matthew Stafford, University of Georgia, the Dogs, and the LSU Tigers, Joe Burrow, uh, who did win a national title in 2019 and is uh, really, I think, a great young quarterback. God bless them both. The SEC just extends its dominance in the NFL, my friends. You can't stop us. You can't even hope to contain us. God bless y'all. Take care. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Be good to one another, okay? And behave yourselves. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Pray this year we may actually get something I haven't seen in years. Really good, funny commercials. Hopefully advertisers will get over there, focus on not offending anyone, and actually make entertaining commercials again. God bless y'all. Take care. Bye.